Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Soundwars Collection interview series. This is Michael Coleman, and this week I spoke with composer Peter McConnell, who has composed award-winning scores for a diverse range of video games, including Broken Age, Hearthstone, Heroes of Warcraft, Plants vs. Zombies, Garden Warfare, The Sly Cooper series, Star Wars The Old Republic, Psychonauts, Brutal Legend, and Grim Fandango. Before working independently, Peter composed in-house at LucasArts, contributing to beloved franchises such as Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and Monkey Island. Peter and I also discussed one of the most acclaimed adventure games of all time, Grim Fandango, which was recently remastered by Double Fine Studios. The 1998 LucasArts classic was remastered to look, sound, and control even better than the award-winning original release. I hope you enjoy. Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about your work. I've been extremely familiar with a lot of the projects over the years. I played many of them growing up. and um, So I just want to start off, give me a little idea of your background, uh, where you came from, and some of those early projects that uh, got you started. Well, it's my, my great pleasure. Um, well, uh, gee, where I'm from. <laughs> uh, I, I'm from a lot of places, actually. I, I, I like to say that I'm from America, except when I was a little kid, I lived in Switzerland. Um, and uh, I've lived in the Midwest, in Kentucky and New Jersey. I went to school at Harvard. Um, I started out there as a physics major and I had a conversion experience and became a, a music major, sort of going back to my love of music from the time I could really, before I could talk, I suppose. And um, uh, studied electronic music with a guy named Yvonne Shrepnin. Uh, which is very uh, sort of old school. Um, <clears throat> well, Shrepnin was far from old school. He was like, a, uh, he was a very alternative dude, and uh, he he had, he had studied uh, under Stockhausen, which is uh, uh, I don't know if you know who Stockhausen was. He's a very uh, uh, erudite and avant-garde uh, electronic composer from Germany, and um, you know he went to Mills, got us and and. Um, and uh, like saw Jimi Hendrix play and I mean he was just an amazing guy and uh, I learned a lot from him about I mean we start with tape you know just analog tape mm -hmm. and um, I just learned a lot from him about about the importance of vibe uh, when you're making music just you're making music in a good place um, you are in a in an environment that 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 um, you know, inspires you. Uh, it's much more about the ears than about the faders, if 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 you know what I mean. The the, the gear is somewhat secondary to the vision. I mean, it's uh, not something that you get too tied up in. And um, and uh, so he just had this really organic um, way of approaching music that that I've tried to keep. And um, and uh, another one of his students, Michael Land. Uh, was sort of a collaborator, a friend of mine. We worked together after that at Lexicon, which is a black box company. Uh, they make black boxes. Uh, musicians play their instruments through. And um, we worked there together. He came out here. We had this plan to, um, to start a band, um, but uh, Mike came out before I did, and <laughs> I think he ran out of money first or something. But anyway, uh, he got this job at LucasArts. And uh, so by the time I got out here, uh, out here being the San Francisco Bay Area, um, uh, 
he had uh, the band idea had kind of fallen by the wayside, but um, here he had this really cool job at LucasArts, and you know, come in and check what I'm doing, Pete, and and uh, uh, we need to build these new sound drivers that are that are going to be they're going to play interactive music. Well, that sounded really interesting, uh, especially since at, once we got done building the sound drivers, we got to write music on them, and uh, you know, the idea. Um, in uh, around 1990 or so of, of someone actually play, paying me to write music um, as opposed to, uh, you know, the experience I'd had up to that point of, you know, being a starving artist and playing in, in shows at, you know, clubs or whatever um, was just so awesomely amazing. Uh, plus, there was this interesting, um, you know, uh, technical problem for kind of that side of my brain, you might say. And uh, so, you know, I started working with Michael at LucasArts and we developed the system and uh, we worked on early projects like uh, Monkey Island 2, I think was the first thing that shipped that had our new system on it. Uh, uh, shortly after Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, um, TIE Fighter, X-Wing, um, uh, Day of the Tentacle, um, uh, you know, a whole bunch of old classic LucasArts games uh, we worked on. And about, and right after Day of, well, Day of the Tentacle was the first game I worked on with Tim Schafer. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, I think the one after that was Full Throttle. And that was, that was, that represented for me, well, for all of us, kind of a transition because up till, uh, up till halfway through Sam and Max Hit the Road, another uh, LucasArts title that's, you know, still well-loved. Um, we had all, uh, Michael, myself, Clint Bachakian was the third uh, member of the group at that time, and um, we had all sort of worked on these uh, uh, projects together, you know, almost like a band. Like, we would actually take tunes and, you know, uh, uh, I, would, I would write the head and Michael would ride the bridge or, or um, the other way around and, and there was a lot of sort of throwing things back and forth and and uh, and you know a little bit of friendly competition you might say. How would you even describe the state of video game music? I mean the evolution and just the, of the state of video game music now from where it was in the early 90s is, is an incredible story and you know what was your take on the work that you were doing? Was it perceived as a a worthwhile, you know, art form that that was being supported, or what was the relationship then? Well, I kind of know. I mean, uh, that, that's funny um, because uh, it was definitely a, a niche market. Um, you know, it had a small, dedicated. It was it was not at all mass entertainment. It mm. was nerd entertainment, you might say. And and uh, yeah. and um, uh, you know, one sort of. I mean, obviously, what working since it was George Lucas's game company, that kind of had a certain you know, you know, pizzazz to it. Uh, but uh, and so it was exciting to be you know part of the Lucas Empire and 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 uh, working on you know properties that were that were um, you know well known by everybody. Uh, but but you know that said, games themselves were were they were a funny. A part of the of of the entertainment. It was was it softer? Was it entertainment? Pe you know, people didn't even admit that they how much time they spent playing games on their computers, according to certain research that was done. 
And, um, you know, even in the Lucas companies, we, uh, we were sort of like this funny, funny, uh, you know, uh, funny part of the company sort of, who are those guys? We, <clears throat> when we would go to big company meetings, we would, we, we used to wear these fezes, um, um, and so you'd have like, you know, George on stage and ILM over here and, and uh, Skywalker sound over here and then over here in the sort of this little corner of the auditorium were all these red fezes with, with, with golden tassels, um, which, uh, you know, we were just kind of this funny uh, sibling, you might say, of the organization. But, you know, that, that changed and it changed during that, that, uh, that decade of the 90s where games gradually stopped, you know, they gradually sort of were no longer, um, uh, you know, just a, a little, you know, geek uh, phenomenon. And they were much more by the, I think, the end of the 90s, more of a, of, of a, uh, of a cultural phenomenon, you know, a large mass cultural phenomenon. And, and, and a good, a good indication of sort of where that was headed a little ahead of time was, um, I'll speak for Clint here, Clint Pajakian. Mm -hmm. Uh, he, when, when, um, when we brought him, uh, you know, he was also sort of a, a uh, you might say collaborator of Michael for, for going way back. And when we brought him in, he had just won, he just graduated from Michigan, a very prestigious, you know, graduate program in music. And he had won this contest to go, um, to go, uh, apprentice with a Hollywood composer. And and then we gave him this job offer, right? And hmm. and and uh, so he had to choose. Uh, and I don't remember who the composer was, but he was, you know, it was, it was someone who was really, uh, you know, established. And uh, and uh, so he actually had this choice to make. Well, do I go to Hollywood and and you know apprentice with this guy, or you know be sort of a a uh, an intern, or do I take this job up at Lucas Arts in San Francisco? And uh, so he actually called the guy and said, you know. I'm, uh, you know, no offense or anything, but I'm having trouble making this decision, right? And the guy said, you know what? Um, that is a really, really, uh, you're in a really great situation now. And and my advice to you is go where the work is. Oh, sure. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. You can yeah. coil cables right, for yeah. me. You can have lunch with Henry Rancini, maybe. But this is a job that, you know, and that, you know, that, and so... I was like, wow, this is work, you know, this, this is an industry. This is something that's, that's going to be bigger than it is now. And obviously it is that now. I mean, I, I just look at the, all, all the various titles you had your a chance to work on. It seems like there was a title every year, if not more. Mm -hmm. and, and then also the style of gaming that you guys were being dealt with. Whether, I mean, uh, a lot of the Star Wars ones were more kind of first person shooters and, or, you know, even um, something like these, you know, the, the, the X-wing versus Tie Fighter bounce, the Jedi Knight ones. The I remember playing all these as as you know growing up, and I just remember those. They they kind of stood alone as their own styles of gameplay. Did you guys feel like what you guys were doing was unique for at the time? Because well, just, you know. yes, I think we did. I mean, there was there was also you know Sierra Online. Uh, did, oh yeah, did, absolutely. Did a certain um, you know. Uh, I think in some ways they were the real pioneers of the graphic adventure genre. I'm not sure. I mean, we were all in there. And, and uh, oh yeah, I mean, King's Quest, right. and Space Quest, and the whole exactly they put out. Yeah. And right. uh, so, but we did feel like there was a Lucas um, 
a Lucas aesthetic, a Lucas uh, away, you might say, and it it um, that really, you know, had nothing to do with Star Wars per se, except that except that it tried to strike that same balance of of kind of fun and um, and and a little bit of seriousness that that uh, that Star Wars was able to do, and. Um, and there was also kind of a dedication to quality and, and uh, I mean, <laughs> quite honestly, such a dedication that, that might have been somewhat uh, uh, not, not necessarily a, a, gr a great business, <laughs> a great way to do a business. But <laughs> no, I mean, the story of LucasArts is an incredible one that, you know, re more, re more recently, you know, closed down. But um, what can you say just about the technology that you guys were involved with? You're talking about building this audio <laughs> engine, I can imagine. You know, I mean, Lucas has always had an involvement, whether it's video editing or sound droid or edit droid or what you know, whatever it may be. I mean, this is pre really when digital DAWs were a big thing. So, how did you guys feel about the work that you're doing? Because it feels like not only are you responsible for the music musicality of it, but you're also kind of on this development technology side. So, how, it, I yeah. have to say, I'm impressed. You know about sound droid and edit droid. I know a and, few things. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Sound, sound Droid eventually became Sonic Solutions, if I remember correctly. And, right, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, I actually interviewed with them for, for a job when I was sort of trying to figure out uh, what to do out here. Um, you know, that was, that was a, uh, the 80s were really, um, uh, which is before the time we're talking about, but just right before the time we're talking about, they were a really exciting time in audio, right? MIDI was big, all these new kind of synthesizers came out and, you know, we kind of look back on them and go, boy, that stuff sounds like the 80s. Um, but, but it was very exciting to be part of all the innovation that was going on. And, what, and really, um, I was just super lucky because the 90s were the same thing for games. And, uh, and, and what's interesting about today is in a lot of ways, you've got the best of all of all worlds you have you, because with with a lot of um indie indie games and um mobile games there's the same kind of issues that we dealt with in the very very you know early 90s uh in terms of being creative about how much space you're taking up or how much processor speed or you know what what kind of humble platform it's going to play back on i mean back in when we were you know working with uh uh you know the iMuse system, interactive music and sound effects, as we called it at the time, that, that that played on on the computer platforms. You know, we had to have a version of it that played PC speaker. I mean, the PC yeah. speaker goes has yeah. two commands, in and out. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, and and we spent most of our time composing. We spent most of our time making things sound good on the ad lib, um, okay. which uh, you know was an FM synth chip, and. You know, the idea that um, someday we'd be actually going to Skywalker Sound uh, anything as anything other than visitors and doing full orchestral scores, it, it, seemed, it seemed plausible. <laughs> plausible is a good word, yeah. But it, didn't seem, but it didn't seem all that close. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and now, um, you know, the industry and, and you know, Every so often, I have a project at Skywalker Sound. Every so often, I, I have a, a project where let's see what we can do. You know, with the smallest, um, chintziest sounding sample set because we can. 
you know, because because that because that we can make that choice uh, because that works with the picture and is the is going to give us the charming effect that we want for this particular game. So it's kind of neat now that that uh, you know you really a lot of it. And of course, uh, I mean, I'm I'm sort of speaking in, in the industry as about the industry as a whole. You have the industry has it's so much more about aesthetic choice. Um, than it was then. Then it was much more, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And now if you want to be inventive, sometimes what you need to do is create your own necessity by, by um, you know, consciously limiting yourself. Yeah, that's good. That's a really good point. I think something um, just to kind of give some people some background, if, if they are interested, and this is something that I came across, uh, Michael Rubin's book, I don't know if you read it, the Droid Maker one. No. Oh, uh, it was really, it was, it, I think for, a, you know, I feel fortunate that I had a chance to play a lot of the LucasArts games as they were coming out throughout the 90s. But um, there's a great book it's just by Michael Rubin called Droid Maker, George Lucas and the Digital Revolution, which actually gave me a lot of the background and mm-hmm. it's given me a little more context, more of when you were there mm-hmm. potentially working on these projects because there was an incredible um, just interest from Lucas to, you know, that's where Pixar was being supported. Mm-hmm. And there was this, there's a lot of really interesting things going on during this period this block of time and you know I think you were right in the middle of it but I also feel like maybe I don't know did you feel like you were isolated from a lot of the other properties that were going on actually actually no um okay you know uh we you know I don't want to play up too much what I was saying earlier about you know being the weird brother or whatever the, the, (laughs) the, the, the strange sibling I mean that was you know probably a lot of that was in our own heads more than anything else because you know here you had here you had um uh you know, we, our, 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 when we, our, our location where it w- was originally on the ranch and, and, and we had just moved off the ranch when I joined. So I, I never actually worked at the ranch, uh, but we had sort of an industrial little office park and it was right next to ILM. And we, you know, would go over there all the time and check things out and, you know, actually see, we could see the, you know, the little model all, all their model stuff and they had a they had a they had an old industrial vacuum cleaner out in the du- dumpster that someone had sprayed r2d1 on and yeah I mean, it was just kind of it was very um i mean we knew the big sound designers like randy tom and gary rydstrom we'd go up to the ranch and watch how they did things so it was kind of like um it was a huge opportunity to you know not necessarily be part of 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 some of those bigger productions that were going on, but at least to be a fly on the wall and, and, um, learn a ton. And Gary Rydstrom would come and visit us and, you know, see what we were doing. And like, you know, he was totally interested in what in the world are they doing for sound design and games, you know? Um, yeah, these are very curious people and, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, really it's, it's, uh, I think that, being in that environment of a lot of, of curious people who, you know, happen to, uh, you know, be, be famous or whatever, or, or be yeah, at sure. the top of their field is just, uh, is just, uh, I mean, it's, it was a great gift. I mean, it was like going to, you know, a really great college with, you know, all the best professors in the world, you know, just, it was just, um, very cool that way. So, I mean, one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about, which caught my attention, um, was this re-release of Grim Fandango. So, I mean, the, the history of Grim Fandango was one that, is it a, is the story of, of how, how, that, how the game was received by fans a surprise to you? Well, how, what was it like to be involved with a title like this? Well, 
Um, I do remember that when, um, you know, Tim, Tim Schaefer showed me, you know, very early on, and probably, I'm going to guess it was in 96 or something like that, um, uh, background art and, and character art for, for the world. I was just like, wow, this is just about the coolest thing I've ever seen. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. I, wow. A whole game of skeletons that, that, I mean, that rules. And, and the thing is that, that it was very, very, um, you know, as, as Tim tends to be, it was just slightly ahead of the curve. And I mean, just ever so slightly, but I mean, by the time we were in full production, yeah. um, the swing craze was big in San Francisco. Um, there was a day of the dead festival you could go to in the mission district. I mean, it, from a musical point of view, Grimm is the mission district, uh, score. And you yeah. could, you could walk down, um, Valencia and then walk up um, Mission, and you could walk into you know four or five clubs that where you could hear acid jazz, um, which is a nod to um, old bebop stuff. Right, and um, you could hear straight on swing. You could go hear Tom Waits's uh, uh, you know reed player. You could hear the Red Hot Skillet Lickers, who are a wonderful swing band, uh, and 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 you know if you get hungry, you step into the taqueria, and there's a mariachi band playing, and so literally almost every, except for the orchestral stuff, almost everything that was in the score, and every live musician who was in that score either played in the Mission District or actually lived there, wow. and uh, you know from the Peruvian flute player to um, Bill Ortiz, who is uh, Santana's trumpet player, who is who's the you know big. He's a huge voice in that score. So it was like my work in in certain terms of you know getting inspired and and putting finding the people to play and everything. It was like the easiest thing in the world. It just involved going clubbing in the mission. That's incredible. I mean, I mean what what can you say just about the the production cycle? How many, how long was that? Project. Um, it was excruciatingly long by by pretty much you know everybody's reckoning. <laughs> okay. You know, and and I remember uh, uh, you know the uh, folks would come around from production and and with clipboards and say you know yeah, we're gonna be done in April. Where's the music? And and I would just be saying you're not gonna be done in April. <laughs> um, uh, it. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I think it was something like 18 months officially, but it was longer than that because, because it was, it, maybe it was supposed to be 18 months. But anyway, it, concept stuff was like 96 and it shipped in the end of 98. So there you have it. Wow. And, and, and for you with the, the music, with just coming up with the orchestration and the pro, I mean, it was all in the box at the time, right? There was no live strings or, or, or orchestration. There was, there was, uh, it was, uh, what well, was all the jazz was live. And that's why, the, okay. that's why the score got some notice, I think, because, yeah. you know, people were kind of amazed at, to be playing a game and like here, um, wow, you know, geez, that's a soulful trumpet solo. I don't know, you know, why was I at, why did I ever think it was a good idea to have a MIDI score? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, and and uh, it was just, uh, so I think that there was a, it, there was a big reaction uh, to it in that way. Um, for me, that was, you know, I was psyched about that. I felt very proud that I could work with that level of musician again and get paid for it. Um, and uh, and do something that I really felt like you know real music 
Um, but at the same time, there was also the orchestral side of things, which, as you point out, was essentially emu samples. Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, for me, it was like a kind of painful to have both of those in the same score. I mean, you you would, I mean, the, the emu... The the um, not to knock emu. I mean, geez, you know that was that was that was the that was a thing of the time. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know, it wasn't uh, any by any stretch uh, being in uh, Skywalker Sound and and having you know sixty people in front of you actually you know playing um, uh, you know performing live music. So it had I did everything possible to make that score sound live, but um, in the end it was it would be like gee that. That would be nice music if if I were really listening to it. Um, yeah. And so it's it had always been like because you know, I, you know, I'm very fond of the, of the project. I'm very fond of the score. For me, it was always like, you know, it's tough to have something that's that's like a sort of a demo. That's <laughs> that everybody mm-hmm. knows. Everybody's heard the demo, but they've never heard the score. Yeah. And uh, and so it was great to. Um, really uh basically do it the way i would always wanted to do it um so you know yeah i mean well what happened when you found out that there was this interest in um double fine studios which is a studio here in san francisco from i mean is it it's a lot of ex lucasarts people too yeah well i've worked with double fine pretty much since they started because um, i have a long standing uh you know relationship with tim okay uh, right luckily for me and uh and so, you know, having done things like Brutal Legend and Psychonauts, um, uh, you know, I've uh, very much uh, sort of tied in with those guys. And uh, so we were, you know, we were hanging out, I guess. And, and, and someone said, you know, well, it's, uh, it was probably Justin, who's, the, who's their business affairs guy. So, you know, you know, we just got the, we just got the, um, we just signed the deal to do Grim Fandango. I was like, "Whoa, you're kidding!" You know, <laughs> and that, that you know, uh, it, it really it was it was like the best thing that's ever happened in my career. I mean, that that just to be the chance to revisit something like that because a lot of people have asked, "Gee, well, what was it like revisiting? You know, doing all that stuff over again?" Re- I, I, you have no idea how satisfying it was. <laughs> I mean, wh- 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 why do you think? First of all, why do you think? There was such an interest that so many people would be like, we want to go dig back into the archives, literally like pull out. I remember watching some of the documentaries about this mm-hmm. and like pulling data off of tape based archives and then trying to rebuild a game. And when you, you go back and look at like I look at the game, the remastering now and, and they did, you know, a new high res character textures and this you know, dynamic lighting and mm-hmm. the whole score has been recorded. And, you know, there's all this really cool stuff that they did to bring it up to. Well, to, I guess honor what the game was but then kind of clean it up and take off some of those rough edges but why why this game like why would why would someone even want to think about doing this why why do you think it this project even happened the way it did when they wanted to remaster it well you know um i uh i had um i think when it came out um it really like i said struck a nerve right uh it, it just had a uh it really uh it struck a. It resonated with something that was that were there were, there were two really pretty, um, pretty big pop pop culture waves that were happening at the time. One was uh, the uh, this sort of interest in 
in um, a growing interest in uh, in Latino culture. So so right around then it was it was not it was I think it was just a little bit after, and I'm I'm trying to remember exactly. I think it's a little bit after. Uh, uh, Grimm came out that that uh, Buena Vista Social Club came out, for example, and uh, and so there was this so there's that, and then there was also this, as I mentioned the swing revival. I mean, one of the one of those years, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy. Oh yeah, Super I mean, Bowl, forget it. It was it was a huge yeah. thing. So it it was it tapped into a certain uh, aspect of what was hip at the time, but beyond that, it's just an amazingly good story. It is just a f- fantastically written incredibly acted uh the concept of it is so cool um it's 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 just really i mean i, I don't want to sound too braggish about it but I, <laughs> I, I was just lucky to be involved in something that was that was that level of good and and i think i really do think that people perceive that at the time and and i just know that you know for all those years, the the email requests for Grimm sto- scores never stopped. Yeah. So it w- in in some ways, it wasn't that surprising to me that that um, that it happened. Um, and uh, you know, I I talked to like one of the wiki or you know corresponded with one of the Wikipedia editors about the Grimm site. He said, "Do you have any idea how many hits this the Grimm Fandango no site way. has been getting?" I mean. And it was some phenomenal number a month, and that was before that was before the uh, the uh, like I don't know. Well, I don't I don't I don't want to say because I'll probably be wrong. But it was it was it made my eyes pop, and yeah. and it was before there had ever been an announcement, you know. So I think yeah. that um, that uh, you know why is something well loved? Because because it's it resonates with what people are interested in, and and and. Hopefully it's it's really really well done, and I think that that was what happened with Grimm. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm even thinking of uh, even Full Throttle for me. I mean, at the time, I was like 12 or 13 when it came out, mm-hmm. which is in '95, and you know, I mean, like anything, there's nostalgia attached, and I, I think for a lot of gamers, you know, the gamers that came up through the late '80s, early '90s, through the you know Atari systems or uh, Amiga or whatever it might have been. Um, these games were just so visually stunning, and like the music was at a kind of a teetering point. It wasn't so like monophonic, but it, it was more like you're saying. It, there's their abilities to do more things with it. I think it's, it's, you know, it's which was a big reason why I was so excited to talk with you because, you know, you guys were part of something of a time period which you know was pretty amazing of of this transition into this digital age of what we're all kind of relishing in today so yeah throttle was one of the very first um um i think it was the first score that we did that was digital audio um that wasn't off of a cd it was yeah. it was that that was actually um it was actually uh you know streamed and um the throttle certainly boy that's you know that's like next on my list of things i'd like to revisit but oh god um, yeah but you know and it was it was also we really had we're very fortunate to have um, uh, this story that you know had rock and roll in it and and like oh wow you know we can play rock and roll now we can like get a real band and <laughs> totally. you know, that's all, getting that band is a whole story in and of itself but yeah um, 
but just you know being able to say hey you know let's 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 do something you know let's let's make the speakers let's let's push some air through these speakers you know and and the way ben would want it you know yeah and uh it was uh, that was such an adventure to do and uh it was also throttle was um was uh, a big sound design um because that was the first game that we really start to do environments for clint uh, that's the uh, Gary Rydstrom came down and visited us when we were working on Throttle, and mm-hmm. you know gave us some pointers or whatever, and and uh, it, it was uh, really um, uh, you know we felt like wow you know we're doing cinema now, and uh, you know we got things like uh, you know we got things like death scenes, and you know the other thing too is is that was one of the you know uh, fortunate things about working at LucasArts at the time is you know we. We had um, Mark Hamill doing that voice of Rip Berger, and right. he is a phenomenal voice actor. Jeez. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, just and the guy who did Ben um, was just, you know, amazing. It's like, uh, Roy Conrad. Yeah, Roy, like. right. And, and he didn't look any. I mean, it's like you'd never, you'd never believe it when you see the guy, you know. It's funny. He's, I'm just looking at this, the, the credits here. He's from, you know, Roseville, California here in Northern California. Mm-hmm. He's you know, like, yeah, you're right. You look at him; he's totally not that character. But there's that voice that just is so memorable. Yes, fills the room. Totally fills the room. Uh, that's amazing. And did did you did you have much involvement then with the the voice actors? I mean, was it all kind of no, I remember, no, okay. no, no. That that, that is, uh, you know, the voice department early on was was its own uh, was its own group, and um, you know, acting is is. Uh, uh, I did. We we did have a little bit to do with some of the um, some of the Star Wars characters because you know they were special processing like Darth Vader. Sure. Um, and for a while, um, I actually was the director for the Darth Vader voices because just because mm-hmm. it was almost like more like doing opera than doing acting and finding someone who had anywhere near um, you know James Earl Jones' pipes was something, and then sort of getting them to do the. The um, actually Clint was Vader for for a while. Oh my gosh! And uh, Yoda, I was for <laughs> some time, you know. And but uh-huh. actually, that was just on I think it was Rebel Assault or something like that. Okay. I mean, they fired they fired all of us amateurs pretty quickly, uh, which was a good thing. And uh, uh, you know, it's definitely nice to work in an operation where um, where uh, you know there are specialists. <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, okay, so I'm digging even deeper here, going back to what you were talking about early on of just when you guys are building the engine. So, there's Scum, which is a script creation utility for Maniac Mansion, but then there's this iMuse, this interactive music streaming engine. Mm-hmm. So, is iMuse then the, the backbone for what you guys are doing? Yes. Um, we, it was originally, we were supposed to rewrite the, quote, sound drivers, and uh, Michael showed me this. Michael Land showed yeah. showed me this thing that he'd been doing with the sound drivers, where where you could navigate through MIDI files uh, depending on what happens with user input. Yeah. And um, and uh, I was like, you know, this is this is uh, like this is the tip of the iceberg. We can do this and this and this too. And and so we we, um, we basically created a system out of that. Now the problem was that in when that first shipped, um, uh, the it got out that the iMuse system was going to take up upwards of a whole floppy disk. Now, 
<laughs> you have to yes. like preload it. People forget that, that those <laughs> games actually shipped on floppies. And so if you did something like go to another floppy, you just increased your, your cost of production by a sixth. It's, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and so, so we got a lot of heat about that. And, and, <laughs> and so I, I told Michael, you know, we got to don't call this thing a driver or whatever you do. We've got to call it a system. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's 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 amazing how just a little naming changes the I mean the context and just how people see it. So we had this, you know, we had this whatever uh, inspiration session where we went out to Chevy's or something like that, or Hilltop Steakhouse, and we uh, and we came up, we named it, you know, the IMU system. But um, the it, it was um, it did allow us to do some really you know sort of interesting things that systems like FMOD and Wise do now. And uh, uh, it was part of, you know, being, having one foot in the technology um, was, uh, I mean, it's not something I like to do on a, on a moment to moment basis, because like to part of the reason actually for doing that was so that we wouldn't have to think technically when we were writing music, we wanted a, a composer friendly system. Um, but uh, so it was nice to, you know, essentially, you know, build the sports car and then go out and drive the sports car and hopefully not have to stop on the road too often and open up the hood and see what's going on. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is such a, like, for most people who have no context of any of this, they're just like, what are they, what are these guys even talking about? But like at the time, you know, you needed to build your own compilers, interpreters, mm -hmm. like this whole world that these games lived in. Like it wasn't just as simple as saying, all right, we're going to use the, you know, the sound driver and we're going to, you know, Play it into Pro Tools and record it. Like none of that was even part of your guys' process. So, what do you miss, or what do you appreciate about coming from that world, and obviously now <laughs> living in a much simpler? Well, I don't know if it's not simpler, but you don't have to think about these things at least. Well, you know, I actually think it's more complicated now because because there's more choices to make. But um, the uh, the thing that that I um, you know try to take away from it that that I thought was good mm -hmm. was um, uh, staying experimental. I mean, really trying to, you know, whenever you have a new project, go, don't go, well, okay, well, here's another one of these, you know. It's because yeah. in those days, there was never another one of these. Every project was, was brand, you know, there was something brand new. I mean, a new sound card would come out and change everything that we were doing. Right. And um, those kind of external reasons um, don't exist anymore. Uh well, that's that's not exactly true. But mo <laughs> mo mobile, mobile had had a yeah. similar effect on games, okay. uh, and a and a very positive one, I think. You know, whatever Angry Birds notwithstanding, um, uh, it it I think that uh, that uh, you know, mobile, it it's it, it did it's done two things. One is, it's become. It's made games even more mass entertainment than they used to be, which is, which always, you know, is is good for us because it means we have work. <laughs> mm. um, and it also uh, brought back the challenge of the small and uh, of packing things into, uh, you know, a small, packing things into a small space, playing things on 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 small hardware, um, all those, uh, you know, whatever processor limitations and memory limitations all those kind of all those kind of confines 
bringing back those constraints, I think, has done a lot for creativity. Um, mm. And uh, you know, you you some sometimes some of the most interesting things are these are, are these little small games that you that you see. Um, whereas, um, uh, you know, in those days, it was everything was like that. You didn't you you, you know you had you had. Uh, you know, you were going to ship on a PC, and you knew what sound cards you were going to play. Right. And and when a new sound sound card came out, you uh you know worked on that. But so long winded way long winded way of saying <laughs> that the, the 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 takeaway for me from from that era is uh, keeping a fresh sense of of uh, creativity, innovation, and when when a project comes along, you don't just go, okay, well, um, I know what this is. It's it's more like, well, what can this be? And uh, and, uh, you know, so there's that, there's also, there's also just, there's a certain cinematic approach to doing games, uh, which we, you know, inherited, you might say, or tried to, tried to carry on at LucasArts that, that I'm really, um, you know, glad to have been a part of. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a magic to it. I mean, recently I, I was able to take my kids to Skywalker Ranch because um, a colleague of mine had some music, uh, 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 you know, being being performed there and being recorded there, and you know they they saw the magic of of you know George's house and his his amazing paintings and his his movie memorabilia from Star Wars. Oh my gosh, is that a real lightsaber? You know, anyway, that 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 kind of um, there is uh, that all comes from the power of telling a story with pictures and games are a little different you know they tell a story with pictures but they also bring you in and you're part of a visual and 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 sound world and um connecting that to sort of whatever the the glory of cinema is something that you know i'm lucky that i was able to sort of see that happen i mean you're, you're still really heavily involved with a lot of Pretty, you know, pretty amazing t big games here. I'm even looking at just, you know, your involvement with Plants vs. Zombies mm -hmm. too. You know, <laughs> there's there's a great example of there's a great example of um, of uh, you know of choosing to limit yourself in terms of uh, in terms of the sonic palette um, because what Laura Shigihara did um, with the original theme music for that was so you know, just potent and wonderfully charming and done with, you know, it could have been, it could have been done with much more expensive resources and, and suffered be, thereby, you know, it was, it, it's done with a very, very austere set of sounds that are totally memorable. And, um, I think that that's, I was so, um, you know, very, again, lucky to, to, to be able to work with that kind of, uh, uh, history, um, because it did remind me of of the early LucasArts stuff, where we had no choice but to use a you know a, 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 a limited sound set because it, that limited sound set was even more limited. It was the it was the FM synthesizer card. So I felt you know like oh this is great, and so I, yeah, that's a good example again of sort of creating your own necessity, um, sort of like um, um, Stravinsky. Uh, used to uh, limit his note choice uh, uh, 
when he, in, in writing certain pieces just simply to focus his writing. Uh, you know, and everybody else is doing atonal music. Stravinsky comes out with a symphony in C. Uh, and, that, you know, that's just awesome. And he, there's some, I wish I could, I wish I knew the quote, but there's some, he said something to the effect of, you know, I can't compose an, a whole ocean. I'd much rather just pick one pebble and, and, and you know, and, and there's my piece. And um, so that, that is, you know, that's something that, that we can, uh, that we can learn from and, and, uh, and I do try to take to heart in projects like uh, PVZ and PVZ Garden Warfare as well. It's a different setup, yeah. <laughs> you can share. Uh, well, PVZ is definitely ongoing. Um, and well, we just wrapped up. Um, we just wrapped up Broken Age uh, and, uh, and of course, Grim Remastered, which we've been talking about. Um, uh, you know, one, one thing about uh, uh, Grim that, that I maybe haven't touched on as, as much as sure. I'd like, because um, you alluded to it earlier about mm. find, just finding the things off of tape drives and so on. Like, mm. Yeah, sure. Musically speaking, I mean, sort of in whatever, in, in, in music geek world, this was... The, the the fact that we could do this score was a miracle connected to a miracle connected to a miracle connected to a miracle and if any one of those things had not absolutely been a miracle the chain would have broken and we wouldn't have the score and so it gets down i mean i'll try to go through it fast just first of all yeah. finding the stuff was was because one guy named Rob Cowles in, in LucasArts marketing had whisked away um, and set aside all the audio assets in, in, in boxes uh, so that they were sure to, to get to the right place <laughs> in the Presidio um, when there was a transition to Disney. And, and, and by the way, LucasArts is definitely still uh, very much running and operational. And, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, that was, first of all, that was a miracle. Secondly, the fact that anybody can find <laughs> it later, you know, back in wherever, whatever railhouse next to, you know, the Ark with a Nazi sign burning, you know, with a swastika burning through the, through the, you know, that sort of, you can picture this giant warehouse with, with, you know, God knows what in it. The fact that they could find it was, was, was a miracle. Beyond that, there was the getting things off of this outmoded tape, um, 16-year-old DLT tapes, which required uh, a special driver, which required a Mac with a SCSI drive, which required, um, I mean, it was just, so getting the data, retrieving, you know, it's, you know, it's not just remastered, it's, it's, re, it's re-orchestrated, uh, rearranged, re-recorded, remixed, remastered, and retrieved. And the retrieving part was just, uh, it took a couple months and when, when we weren't sure we'd have it until the very end. And then there's things like once we had the data, isn't it wonderful that Pro Tools 9 can open up a Pro Tools 4 session? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was able to open 16-year-old Pro Tools sessions, no problem. And That's you know, amazing. Pro, I, don't, I don't even think Pro Tools 10. I mean, it was kind of lucky also that I had a slightly old version of Pro Tools. But, yeah. but um, you know, the... the when you're, you can write a whole book about archiving stuff and retrieving stuff because it is, uh, 
and it you know may not sound all that sexy for say a, a music fan or something but but uh but boy it's without knowing this stuff you can't have your you can't go back to these old projects one of the things about our industry is that it's so constantly changing that it's not like uh, you just roll up the scores and put them in your music cabinet and someday somebody discovers, you know, box inventions. Um, it's, uh, it, it goes into a, it's very much a medium of the moment and uh, it's up to people who want to be sort of curators of computer museums. I mean, that's a, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's a huge point is like, well, we, we feel like maybe today we're in a better place to archive and store things, but I think we're in the same kind of conundrum that we've always been, which is like, how, how do we future proof ourselves so that we don't lose this art, you know? And, and I think there's a lot to say, even about, I remember even coming across, um, some of the, some of the, um, Star Wars game titles that I had you know, CD-ROMs for. It's like, there's no computer that I could pop this in and play it again. There's no way to go back to that. Right, right. It's, it's gone, it, which, is a, which is a crazy thing to think that only 15 years ago, this game was at the peak of, you know, gaming success. And now it's something that I can't even boot up because there's not a compatible system on the market. Or even, if, I don't know, you really have to hold on to those old machines. Right. Right, yeah, it, it it does help to be a hoarder, you know, in this in this uh, in this um, <laughs> yeah. business. I, I, I mean, well, what does that do in terms of like how you personally archive your own music? Do do you have um, like a personal um, I don't know mission to you know make sure that you hold on to or preserve the your own personal work? Well, my my own personal part of it is a little easier to preserve because it it does exist in the form of things like. Um, you know, audio files, uh, most of it sure. is audio files, or standard MIDI files, which still mean something. Right. And um, so I'm, I'm not as worried about that uh, other than, you know, making sure that I have lots of, you know, if it doesn't exist in three places, it doesn't exist. And uh, so there's, you know, just standard data stuff like that. Um, but, you know, um, I will say this, um, um, since, since we are you know, since we are in sort of a technical, uh, technically savvy forum here, yeah. um, uh, plug-in plug manufacturers are the bane of my existence, as they are, <laughs> I'm sure, of all of, of you yeah. folks out there. And I do wish they were a little more polite about backward compatibility, because I, I spend more time trying to figure out, if, if I do revisit an old project, try to figure out how to make those plugins work. And I am Oh, so tempted to name some manufacturers here, but I will, I will refrain. <laughs> um, and uh, you know who you are. Um. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge part. I mean, I've, I've had that even just, you know, even with projects I've worked on recently. Was, you know, with, I mean, obviously piracy and, and having an iLock technology is a good thing. And, you know, maybe it's keeping developers, you know, be able to control their money, which, you know, probably wasn't the case early on when you could share files and plugins mm -hmm. and no big deal. Uh, but it's true. I, I think about with the security and the closeness of these systems, it's going to prohibit, you know, kind of future proofing some of some of these works. So I'm just curious about your own personal well, kind of take. And there's not just, just that's, you know, the, it's the plug in that will work on on uh, whatever, you know, on uh, on uh, Mavericks this, but not Mavericks that. I mean, it's 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 yeah. that 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 kind of level of, of silliness. But um yeah, you know, I, I, uh, 
I don't know that I don't know that so much of it has to do with 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 protection, uh, at least in my experience, as it does. Um, um, although I think we all went through one of those big things last year with the with, with that issue, but but mm-hmm. um, but um, uh, it, it's more just that because the systems improve and change so much, it's very hard just, you know, to have the engineering resources to maintain back backward compatibility. Mm. And, uh, you know, when you're in, uh, it's a little, it may be for some reason, I don't know, I'm uh, been a while since I've written a line of code, but it may be easier to maintain that backward compatibility with a larger system than it is with a pl- plug-in because um, your plug-in universe, you, you have to be so, you have to, you know, obey a bunch of constraints that are set for you by others. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's, um, <laughs> it's tough. It's easy. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's nice to it, it, be great to, you know, it's tempting to find a culprit in, in all this, but I think, I think it's just the fact that we're all, all trying to make things better. And, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to make them, um, uh, better so that the experience will be better and more fun and more punchy and, and, uh, more cinematic or more, more, you know, choose your adjective. Yeah. And, uh, it, it all comes at a cost. And, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're an independent composer, you're, you know, often your own IS guy too. So. I mean, it's the, the incredible thing, and maybe I'll end it at this, is that nowadays we have soundtracks that are being released for these video game titles. And mm-hmm. I, I had a chance to talk with Clint recently and with his work, and the work, same work that you guys had mm-hmm. done on the um, uh, World of Warcraft right. uh, title. And nowadays there's such a, an incredible community that follows uh, music score and composition, and it's... It's a different time, a different place, but uh, yes, I've, yeah. all, I've I've been very fortunate to write the music for Hearthstone, uh, and uh, which is uh, you know a tremendous. Uh, it's tremendously fun because I I don't haven't gotten a lot of opportunities to do some my my folk guitar thing, which you know is very yeah. I'm very whatever it's near and dear to me uh, playing sort of a folk guitar stuff and. Uh, the world of the uh, Hearthstone score is really a chance to do something a little different with that and blend it with uh, blend it with early music, which I'm such a huge fan of. And the whole, um, you know, the whole universe of World of Warcraft is it's there's so many fantastic composers in it, and uh, and they're very conscious of of um, very conscious and very serious about the. Um, what their roots are, you know, what, what the roots are of the story, what the roots are of, of, of the music that they're creating. Um, you know, folks like, uh, Russell and Jason and, um, uh, you know, just, uh, very, very, very aware of that. And, and they are that way. It's either a reflection of, or, or um, helps to create uh, this incredible fan uh, loyalty and and seriousness about. Them. I mean, have you ever been to BlizzCon? I, I actually, the, I had my, a chance to go this past year for work. I was there doing some shooting, and I I felt like a fish out of water. I mean, I, I know I know World of Warcraft. Like, I mean, I've played right. the titles, but like 
not to the level that these right. fans are. <laughs> it's it's a different experience. It's it's incredible community. You know, it it's really, really exciting. Is. It really is. And and um and uh you know, very positive, you know. Yeah. It's, and uh it's it's very uh uh it's just a lot of fun uh to be in that in that world. And and it's it's impressive, of course, yeah. the level of 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 you know depth of knowledge and level of seriousness that people that people have about this. But it's because I think of um, you know the people who create those games are um, are really very they have a sense of of their own. Um, I, I maybe maybe Clint was uh, was sort of alluding to this the, that they have a sense of where their musical history comes from in, in relation to, uh, um, in relation to world at Warcraft. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me about this. I feel like I had a chance to go back in a time machine and go back to my, <laughs> to my child. I mean, even, you know, even talking about such, you know, staples like Sierra designs and what, what was going on then yes. and there it's, uh, it's incredible where we are at today. And I can only imagine the evolution of, of what is to come in the future. And it's exciting just to see you to continue working on incredible titles. And, and, you know, I think a lot of times composers just, I don't know, I don't know if it's a matter of staying competitive or staying involved in the industry, but it seems like you've had little to no problem with that. So that's really exciting. Well, uh, thank you very much. It's, it's, it's my great pleasure. And yeah, I just, I just feel like, uh, uh, you know, so lucky to to be able to do this, to be able to write music for a living, to um, to be part of a world that is it is always changing and um, it's always been changing. So it's you know it, it's it's a I suppose uh, it could seem like a challenge I guess to keep up with it all, but I I just find that it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know just hope uh, hope we keep to. Yeah, hope we get to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for people who want to find out more about what you're up to and some of your work, where, uh, where should they go for your website? Well, um, www.petermc.com, I suppose. Um, I'm, I also have a you know fan site on Facebook, which probably gets more um, more. Uh, <laughs> I have two. Uh, two fan sites on Facebook, and one of them is that Wikipedia one. I'm trying to oh, get sure. them to somehow like I don't know. Uh, take it down yeah well no they, they, they'll never take it down it's more like uh-huh. uh have one refer to the other and just you sure. know whatever but but uh they're both uh places where you can find out what's going on and uh, uh and uh at peter n mcconnell is my twitter uh is my twitter uh, account and uh once in a blue moon i, <laughs> I actually tweet, <laughs> i actually tweet about what i'm doing I, I i need to be more responsible about my social media i think i know it's it's another another hat we all have to wear yeah well, you know, I was I was in the Silicon Valley uh, uh, boom too. Or I, I was in the bust part of it actually. The bust. All right, that's yeah, awesome. Well, Peter, thank you so much for the time, and uh, I look forward to following more of your work in the future here. So keep doing what you're doing because it's working. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. <laughs>